Good? Great. Uh, Why don't we stand as we open the ancient scriptures this morning at the beginning of a new series called The Cross, and I want to read to you from Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song, you're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We know this to be the word of God. We know it to be true. We say thanks be to God for this word. Breathe on it today. Impact our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to our Easter series. If you're brand new, I'll give you a special welcome. Uh, It's a great week to come on Mother Sunday as we launch uh, an Easter series and take a walk towards celebration and the cross. And uh, so we're so glad that you've chosen to come today, that you've chosen to gather around the presence of Jesus today. So for over the next few weeks, we want to talk about what was the turning point of history Christ's death on the cross was a pivotal moment in human history. You can't deny that. You can't deny that. See, the thing is, but when Jesus died a brutal and barbaric death on the cross, no one thought him a hero. In fact, the headlines that day didn't read, uh, young hero wins hearts. There was no sign of those sort of headlines, and there was no herald of a young revolutionary. In the Jews, I... What they saw was a God-forsaken criminal uh, just dying a criminal's death in a ghastly Roman way. His followers, his friends, disciples are in shock. They lost hope. And I wonder, had they been thinking, did we follow a swindler, a crook? Maybe we've given ourselves to a con artist, someone who took us on this journey of false pretenses and, and false hope. And actually, after the death of Jesus Christ, There was a seven-mile walk. It was called the Emmaus Road, and disciples were walking it one day after the death of uh, Jesus. And they uttered these words, and you can read them in Luke 24, verse 21, said, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. I don't know if that's your story this morning. Have you ever hoped in God? And and have you ever walked with him and thought, I had hoped for, I had longed for, for? Has he taken me on a journey and disappointed me? And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to talk about is the power of the cross, the power of the crucifixion. And we're not going to go past it too quickly. And what I want to do this morning is just give you over an over um, a few of this cross and the power of it. And then at the end, I want you to Open your hearts and your minds to what the power of the cross can do in your life and how it can engage your community, your streets, your workplace, your schools. Everywhere that we go, we take the power of the cross with us. And we're going to see that hopefully as we journey through today. The cross is, it's ugly and beautiful. I mean, it's ugly because we see our stuff on it and the shame and and all that was put on Christ the King. It's beautiful because... It sets humanity free and it puts us on a new foot. And actually, it's, it's more than we actually know of, I think. Sometimes our gospel message is too small and 
We've made the cross a little too small. And I want to retell the story today of the cross and what atonement really looks like for our everyday ordinary lives. It's worn on jewelry, right? Anybody got a cross on today? We wear it on our necks. We put it on rings. Artists paint it, sculptors sculpt it. We sing songs about it. We write poetry about it. We tell heroic stories about it and sorrowful stories about the cross. But it's an instrument of torture. We know that. Not only killing the person, but actually humiliating them. And when Jesus died that death on the cross, they not only nailed him, but they sneered at him, humiliating him. And crucifying him outside the city gates, knowing that people would come and go all the time, was no new thing. They were cruel, cruel people. That's what the Romans did. This crucifixion was new to the Jews, but not new to the Romans. They, They took people on the outside of the city, knowing that people would come by, walk into the city, walk out of the city, and have to look at somebody naked and dying on a cross. It's a beautiful but yet an ugly picture. It had a superior meaning for the Romans. Meaning we're superior to you. You're inferior. We're going to see a change this morning. It had a political meaning also, the cross. When you saw somebody outside the gates of that city on a cross, what the Romans were saying is, Hey, we've conquered you. This is our land. There's a new rule and there's a new reign. And quite interesting, also, it had a theological theme to it. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Your so called criminal king is on a cross, naked, outside the city gate. We won. So it has this superior meaning, it has this political meaning, it has this theological meaning, and I want to say that it actually does have all those things in Christ this morning. It has a superior meaning for us. It has a political meaning that he's making all things new and there's a new government come. And it's also a theological meaning, and that's where we're going to journey this morning, if we're good with that. But all was not as it seemed. By 6 o'clock on Friday evening, the world was a different place on that first Good Friday. The cross is the turning point of history. And what seemed like foolishness, God the Father had put into operation his plan for rescue for the world. It's powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful message. The resurrection of Jesus revealed that on that Good Friday, the crucifixion as the day the revolution began. <laughs> the day the revolution began. And we can miss the power of the cross, especially in Protestant Reformed theology, where they despise people that wear Jesus on a cross, but can I say that Jesus did not rise from a cross? <laughs> he rose from the grave, so therefore... If we're going to talk about the cross, then let's look at it in its totality. And let's not clean it up too quickly. Christ did die on a cross, and there's power in the cross. And in fact, what the resurrection does, if you listen very carefully this morning, if it grabs your heart and grasps your mind, it does this. The resurrection actually points to the evidence that the cross had power. 
And so often we want to skip the resurrection, we want to skip the cross, and we want to move to resurrection power. But the scripture does say, I want to share in his sufferings. I want to share in his sufferings, and I want to share in his resurrection power. And the two are equal. And so what the resurrection of Christ does, it takes us to the point, to the place of crucifixion and the power of that crucifixion. And I want to, in some way today, convey and communicate to you what that power actually looks like. And how it's more than we thought. And how it's more than we imagine. And sometimes, and maybe many times, it's more than we actually preach. Because sometimes we preach a small gospel. And we clean up the cross very quickly. Man, the day of the cross changed the world, and it also changed my world. (laughs) And I know for some of you this morning, you may not have theory, but you have encounter of the cross, right? You have encounter of it. You may think the world hasn't really changed. And what the cross really did is just get us into heaven and we're just waiting and having a quiet time in the meantime. What the cross actually did was not just get us into heaven, but to get heaven into the world. It brought the rule and reign of Christ Jesus. It was that climax, that moment, everything was going towards Calvary. And what it did in that moment was not just get us into heaven, but actually God's plan was never to get us into heaven. God's plan right from the beginning, the story of God from Genesis right to Revelation. I know this might offend some of you. I know this might be new to some of you. But God's plan was never to get you into heaven. God's plan was never to populate heaven. God's plan was to renew all things. He moved in in Genesis. He walked among us in the garden. And God's plan was always to move into the neighborhood. He is making all things new. He is making all things new. And he longs to dwell with humanity. He longs to dwell with you and I here today, sitting in a black chair. God's one desire today is more than getting you a ticket into heaven. God's desire for you and your family, for your friends, for your society, for your community, for your nation, for our towns and our villages, is to bring the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ Jesus, into our everyday ordinary lives. And that changes everything. And he has, and he is making all things new. Nothing has changed. The world is not a different place. You think so? The cross changed everything. First century was one for themselves, dog-eat-dog world. And I know you might be saying, well, that's just the same as our society. No, it's not. It's quite, quite not the same. It was a cruel society. There There was no human rights for anyone. No basic human rights. There was no care for the poor. There was no generosity to those Outside the family of God, never mind those inside the family of God. It was a dog-eat-dog world. The poor were kept in the dark. There was no rights for, for humanity. There was no education. There was no health care. It was a, literally a dog-eat-dog world. But that Friday evening at 6 p.m. changed. And the world from that moment, we live in the last days. And I don't mean trying to predict Jesus coming back. There is one last day. That's a time from the crucifixion to Christ's return to renew all things in its totality. So we do live in the last days. But I want to say that God right now is making all things new. He is not burning up the earth or destroying the earth. He is here to dwell with humanity and to make all things new. I hope that's good news for you this morning because that's a part of the cross. That's a part of the cross. It's a bigger message 
than getting people into heaven. In fact, I want to go a little step further this morning, if I can, and step in your toes and say that sometimes our gospel is a pagan message. It looks like a pagan message. The story of the cross has got lost in translation. You look at art in past centuries, we see an angry God looking at a humiliated, weak Jesus. And sometimes those paintings depict this God turning his gaze away from Christ, not looking at him. And the story paints this picture in our minds that we have an angry God, and all he wants to do is keep punishing this Jesus to get rid of his wrath and his anger so that he suffers and so that he takes the sin of the world. And that's partly true. And then we conclude that the result of that angry God killing his son is you and I then living up to morals and behavior and passing the test. And then we fit the story around something like this. If we feel the test of morality and behavior, anybody feel with their behavior this week? Ah, pretty good church. Two people, three people, and the rest of you are writing a book on holiness <laughs> and the journey of faith. I look forward to reading it. We feel the test. Then Jesus jumps in the middle, and we get to go to heaven. That's the gospel. That's not the gospel. See, it's the opposite. God didn't hate the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But whosoever, nation after nation, tribe after tribe, tongue after tongue, whosoever believes in him and, and leans into him has eternal life. And that eternal life is not about dying. That eternal life is about surrendering your yes to Jesus and living in a right relationship with him and picking up our cross and walking with him here on earth. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul summarizes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. It says this, what is the story of the cross and why the cross is the name of our series? I'm going to give you a synopsis of that this morning through Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, for what I've received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures. What does that mean? Well, here's what I used to do. I used to connect a few cross-references to prove resurrection and the cross. And it is that, and that's quite fun, actually. So you have, I don't know, what you, have anybody got an actual paper Bible here this morning? At the bottom of that there um, textbook, you might have footnotes that will give you some scriptures. It'll give you one or two scriptures. Scriptures that it might give you is Isaiah 53. It also might give you Hosea 6.2, which talks about the resurrection of Christ. It says, after two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. That's a prophetic promise of the crucifixion of Christ. And then we have Jonah 2.1 where it talks about salvation and Christ coming. So those are reference points. But I want to say this here. Maybe we've missed something. According to the scripture is more than proof reference. According to the scriptures. I love that the texts do that. But according to the scriptures points to the story of God that runs from Genesis right through to Revelation. There's a bigger story that we've missed. Not footnotes, not cross-reference, but there's a story, and it's a love story. It's a love story of God from Genesis 
forming humanity so that humanity would rule and reign and cause the earth to flourish. That's the story of Jesus. His love runs right through this entire story. And then what happens is humanity doesn't trust the goodness and the character of the Father. And he gives the story to a people called Israel who carry the presence and whose job is to make the earth flourish again, to reproduce, to make it fruitful, to rule and reign with Christ Jesus. And right through the scriptures, we come to this uh, climax in the New Testament. You know what's kind of shocking about the church today, and I say that graciously, is that we put all our energy of the cross, the story of the cross, into Paul's, Paul's letters, and we, also, we, we want to forget about the Gospels. But the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, take us to this moment. You read the story of God in the Gospels, and you see that the cross is bringing us to this moment, that the journey of God is bringing us to this moment, the cross. And it's in this moment that the first Good Friday, when we see the distance he crossed and the sacrifice he makes, the distance he crosses for humanity. It's a love story. It's outrageous. It's ugly and it's beautiful all at the same time. And in this story, in this climax in the Gospels, particularly through the Mark and uh, and John, we see that the distance that he crossed and the deep, deep sacrifice that we make. And my prayer this morning, as we journey over the next two weeks or three weeks, that this wouldn't be something heavy, that this wouldn't just be theology, but theology is good when we live it, right? And Jesus is our perfect theology. My, my, my prayer for you that is every heart would, would not just see the surface of the, of the cross, but we'd actually see the depth of the cross in the next two or three weeks. We'd actually go deeper than just the surface of the cross where God puts the sin of the world on His Son and we get into heaven, but we would actually see the depth of the cross, how far He goes, what the distance actually means, the depth of the sacrifice and what it means to us here and now, how it's making all things new, how it should affect our social life, how it should affect our health service, how it should affect our political life, how it should affect our education, how it should affect health care, how it should affect our attitude towards the poor and the marginalized and the refugees, how the cross of Jesus Christ is more than getting us into heaven, but it's actually about getting heaven into society and into the world. Don't we pray the Lord's Prayer often? In fact, I have a new tradition. I pray it every day at 12 o'clock. I'll give it a miss today. Um, I always miss it on a Sunday because I'm up here, and that would just be weird for some of you. But what do we learn through the Lord's Prayer? What, what, what's that, that pivotal moment in, the, in His prayer, the warrior prayer, as I like to call it? The warrior prayer goes something like this. Well, it actually goes like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we get to that? How is that possible? How does heaven come to earth? It's happened through the cross. It happens through the crucifixion and the power of the cross. So the whole story of God is a love story from Genesis right through the Bible. According to the scriptures means there's a God who's in love with humanity. He's so loved that he gave. And it's expressed in the story of Israel. The cross, why? Because we needed forgiveness. And reconciliation with her father. We all needed that. I'm thankful for that. And I get that. And, and I mean, like, you don't need to, you don't need theology, per se. You don't need theory to, to encounter. Uh, anybody enjoy food? No, I mean good food. I know some of you are just fuel eaters. You eat pot noodle and you think it's gourmet. Do, who enjoys food? Now, how many of you enjoy food but can't cook? Do you need to cook 
I know they under, understand the ingredients and the spices and how things work and marinate and all that sort of thing to enjoy good food. No, you don't. I want to say it's also the same with this story of God. There are many, many people that know Jesus and don't yet know Jesus who experience the power of the cross in their lives without knowing the theory. That's okay. Because theory, theory is important, but encounter is vital. Encounter of the cross is actually vital. See, I was a young boy growing up in Lincoln Courts in Stroke City, capital of culture. I didn't know a lot of theology about the cross to experience and encounter his love and his kindness. I mean, at that age, I couldn't explain to you the atonement, substitution, and propitiation, if I could say the word. I mean, I didn't know those things. The theory is good, but the encounter is vital. I was a young boy in Derry when I was undone, when I understood and realized the distance that he crossed and the sacrifice that he made. Undone. My response was surrender, surrender to his love, said yes to Jesus in my bedroom, and invited him to come live in me and through me. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful today that the cross still brings comfort to, to people. I heard a story recently told by a, an archbishop that uh, three boys were going into confession in an Anglican church chapel. And what they were really doing is they were just going to take the hand out of the priests. And so they were going to make up stories, and they went in and told these stories, and they run out laughing, and the second boy would come in and do it, and he would tell them a load of yarns, and he would come out laughing and saying, oh, I told them this. And, and, and the, the priest and the minister caught on the third boy, and he gets the third boy, and he says to the third boy, hey, uh, he stops, and he, he listens to him, and he's, he's caught on exactly what he's been doing. And he says, uh, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to go up to the cross, the front of the church. And he says, I want you to look at the cross and say, you did this for me, and I feel nothing for you. He says, I want you to do it three times. First time, he says, you did this for me, I did nothing for you. You did this for me, I did nothing for you. The third time, he breaks. There's something powerful about the cross. You see, it's not superstition. It's, not, it's more than just a piece of jewelry. And, and, and he couldn't get the words out because all of a sudden, the encounter of the cross the power of the cross, not the theory of the cross. He experienced the love of Jesus in that moment. Something caught him. I would say the Holy Spirit of God re revealed Jesus to him. And the story is a true story. The archbishop was that third boy. He serves Christ today. It changed his life. The theory is important, but encounter is, is vital. Hope that makes sense to you. cross brings us into relationship with the Father because of his love for humanity. And like I said, the message of a cross is more than, than we failed the moral test. When Jesus takes our failure, he dies on the cross so we can go to heaven. It's interesting the time that Jesus chose to go to Jerusalem, isn't it? It's Passover time. Passover is freedom day. Coincidence. Did you enjoy Ant and Deck up here this morning? <laughs> That's what Ant and Deck's what they look like in a few years' time. <laughs> it's Passover day. It's freedom day. It's a story of exodus from slavery and from freedom, or to freedom. And Jesus chose that day 
Not coincidentally, but on purpose. It was appointed <coughs> at the right time that Christ would come into the world and die at just the right time. And he chose, he chose Passover time to free all humanity from the powers of darkness, the tyranny of evil. See, with the cross, its power is, is broken, the powers of darkness, the tyranny of evil. And you and I are now given authority and commission to bring life. It's interesting also that the powers of darkness knew the story of God. They knew the climax of the story. They knew what the story was heading for them. It's, it's, it's no coincidence again. It's not coincidence that the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is being launched into earth that evil does its worst. The very moment that Jesus appears, we have Herod looking for blood of children and infants. Right? Remember the story? The moment he appears, there's blood. And then... And then Jesus walks through the villages and towns and he goes into the synagogues. And as he goes into the synagogues, I'm sure the presence of, the God, of God is, is there. The Spirit of God is, is there. And he opens up his scriptures time and time again. It was his custom. And people screamed and evil spirits screamed at him because they knew what was happening. They knew what was, was happening. Then there was plots to kill him. To take his life. And then we know in the moment, at the final hour on that Good Friday, Jesus is in a garden as they arrest him. Notice what he says. Notice what Jesus says. He says, every day I was with you in the temple courts and you, you did not lay a hand on me. But this is the hour. This is your hour. Enjoy it. <laughs> Sometimes we just get it so wrong, don't we? That we think this is the, the devil's playground. This is his world. We're just hanging on. We're puppets in the hand of the enemy. And Jesus says, let me paraphrase it for you. Enjoy your hour. And darkness reigns. Enjoy your hour. A new day is coming. A revolution is beginning. All things are becoming new. And the powers of darkness were destroyed at the cross. We are moved from slavery. I wonder what kind of slavery we're in today. Wonder what kind of powers of the age are, are taking a hold in our lives. Because these powers of the age are broken. But you know what happens is that when we give ourselves to worship, we actually worship the powers of the age. Oh, Jason, that sounds very, very deep. What do we worship today? I'll tell you what we worship. We worship fame, success, money, comfort. And when we give honor to these things and when we worship these things, in fact, if you just, somebody gives me their checkbook right now, your bank account, I'll tell you what you worship. Can I have a look? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we worship things. We give power to those things. And I only say this morning, because of the cross, Jesus has set us free from those things, the parts of the age. And so many of us are, are living as slaves in a new age only because we have resigned ourselves and given worship to the parts of the age, which are commercialism. Riches, power, fame, success. Instead of giving our hearts to Jesus. <coughs> and does that rob us of all those things? No, 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 no. What scripture teaches us is seek first the kingdom of heaven. That which he died for. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. And then all these other things, they'll be added on to you. But don't get it the other way around. Because if you get it the other way around, you end up a slave to society. A slave to this world and the powers of this age. 
have their tool and take their tool in your life. Does that make sense? You doing okay? Little heavy? Making sense? Good, let's move on. Page 4 of 12. <laughs> the cross isn't so we get a ticket to heaven and in the meantime stick it out. And here's where I'm going this morning as we, we end. The cross is powerful because it frees us from our sin and our shame, but it also empowers us and redeems us to be God's active agents here on the earth. The scripture that we read this morning, let me give you another one just before that. In Revelation 1, 4 and 6, says, To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. What's the outcome? And he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Do you get why the cross is powerful? Why? What is the result of the cross? What is the result of the cross? Good people? No. Behave better? Let's get a little bit more moral. Those are good things, actually. The power of the cross does bring morality and does bring us into a better character and better way of living. But it says that he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. Where? In heaven? When we die? No. Right here. Right now. Fat boy Slim. Right here. Right now. <laughs> Oh, you just need to get out a little bit more and switch over from Spirit FM to Radio 1. Do the world of good sometimes. <laughs> Revelation 5 and 9 says, And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. That's what gives him the right. He has authority. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, male and female, young and old. Yeah? Does this not float your boat? It's just me. I love it. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will go to heaven. Amen. I jest. You've made them to be a kingdom of priests, to serve our God, and they will reign where? You want to argue with Scripture? I don't. You and I were born to reign and rule on the earth, to cause this earth to flourish. He is making all things new. The power of the cross is that God has conquered sin and death and evil and the powers and tyranny. They had their hour that night, but the hour is gone. And there's a new king in town, and there's a new ruler in town, and his name is Christ Jesus. And he puts in us his image, that we would bear his image. And what does that mean? That we would bear his character. And what does character look like? Well, character looks like God on earth. God walking through your streets. God walking through your schools. God walking through Stormont. God walking through the health cares and the, and the wards and the, and the theaters and hospitals. It looks like God in every sphere and every area of society. It looks like God in the gym and the pub and the club. It looks like God everywhere we go, we bear the image of Christ Jesus. We have been called to make this earth flourish, not to destroy it, not to get out of it, but to make it flourish and to make wrong right, to make the broken beautiful again, and to bring healing to society and to life and to every sphere, every sphere, every sphere, every sphere, every sphere, every sphere everywhere through us at church, 
through us the church spreads the fragrance of Jesus Christ. And we make known the manifold wisdom of God here on earth. And I would love to know what that looks like in its fullness. But I can tell you something. If we keep our gospel to Jesus dying on the cross and we can go to heaven, we will never understand and we will always underestimate the power and the transformation of the atonement of Jesus Christ and what it actually brings to our society and to our world. That's a good word, Jason. That's a mercy clap. That's a mercy clap. If you go to clap, clap right. We're now called to release the goodness of God on the earth, His character on the earth. It's bigger than sin correction, people. And it's not your job to be the moral police, the morale police, or the moral police. Moral. Sometimes morale's good too, especially when you're very quiet. And I know some of this is offending your mind right now, but I hope that He gets your heart. That's okay. That's okay. It's bigger than sin correction. It's to renew and restore broken people, broken dreams, and broken communities. Do you know what's happened in society when Jesus says it's finished? That was once, and that was enough. But I want to watch, and it scares me, and it, 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 it caused me concern in the church. When I see so many people who have the life of God and the, and the purchase of God available to them, and they think that they should crucify dreams and desires. There was one crucifixion. That was Jesus. You don't need to crucify that which he has placed in your heart, which might bring the renewal to your city, to your town, and to your people. And for some reason, in false humility, we think that we should crucify the desires of our heart. Why, 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 why would you do that? When he's called you to release his kingdom here on earth and to cause the earth here, near and far, to flourish. Why would you do that? We need to be aware of that. It, it's the power that calls us to love the world, not to hate the world. To make wrong right, to renew and restore the broken. The aim of everything in conversion through the cross is to restore everything that was lost in the fall. You're not going to get that in one Sunday morning. I know that. And I'm not trying to be humiliating or facetious in any way. But your mind won't be able to comprehend what that actually looks like. Through the cross, God is restoring all things. What's his vision? What's his vision for humanity? That the glory of God will be seen where? Israel? Throughout all the world, over all the earth. France, Dungannon, India. Pakistan, Iran, Palestine, Israel. He's making all things new. See, if we want to talk about what it looks like, we, we need to get back to the beginning of the book of the story of love in Genesis. It's a beautiful story. And what I found out recently was that Genesis was written after freedom, after Exodus. It was penned after Exodus. And when those people are in Egypt, those under slave, we talked about that um, a couple of weeks ago when I talked about, you know, living in shame, how, how a culture had come out of Egypt but didn't, didn't actually have Egypt out of them yet because they had a culture of being put down all the time. 
And uh, throughout that land, there was images and statues. There was images and statues of Pharaoh all the way up and down the Nile. And it wasn't so that people would bow down and worship. No, no, it was a bit more subtle than that. It wasn't that when those Israelites walked past statue after statue that they would bow down each one and worship. No, no, no. What it was saying is there's an image here. There's a ruler here. And I'm in control. Every time you walk past and see the image of the Pharaoh, remember whose town it is, whose place it is, and whose you are. Right? So with that in mind, in that land, with that in mind, in light of that, listen to Genesis, the passage in Genesis. God has created us in his image. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. What does that tell us? tells us because of the cross, God has released us and empowered us to become his agents on earth, that we would restore the image of God the Father and bear his image here on earth. And then when we walk through our streets and our towns and our villages in this nation, that there would be something of the character of God revealed in us and through us that would bring God glory, reflect the glory of the firstborn son. And that society and humanity would know that there's a new king in town. There's a new rule and there's a new reign. And every time we bear the image of Christ, people can say, there is a God to be reconciled to. There is a father who sees and who knows and who cares. Isn't it beautiful? Because to bear his image is to reveal his character. What does that look like? What does that look like? We're declaring to God's word. The New Testament tells us we have been predestined to bear the image of God's Son. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God the Father. And he is the perfect image bearer of what it means to be truly human. To be truly human. Those of us reborn by the Spirit of God are being recreated to bear his image here on earth. And that means that we are to be known for what? Compassion, kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives through the cross of Jesus Christ, making our friend, the Holy Spirit, available to us so that we would bear the evidence of God on earth. Patience, kindness, meekness, truth-telling, gentleness, self-control. Our assignment is into all the world. Let me say it this way. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. And then he handed his mission over to us at the cross. Something happened on the cross. Something happened on the cross. That's the message of the cross. Shall we stand? And they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seeds because you were slain. With your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. God has made a people here in Ireland, a tribe that is generous and compassionate. He has made you and I to be kingdom of priests, to serve God, that we would reign on this earth and we would cause every place that we go to flourish.
to flourish. What do priests do? They bless. They bless. So primary purpose is to bring the blessing of God, the presence of God, to carry His presence wherever we go. So let's just still our hearts. You can keep your eyes open because I want to give each family a, a sign of restoration today. I want to give you a cross made by people in captivity, prisoners in the Gabri prison. And I want this cross for your home this Easter to be a symbol that God is making all things new and he's renewing the earth. And because of what we do as a community of faith, we reflect the glory of God here on earth. We bring his kindness and his compassion and his goodness. And I love the symbolic story of those who are held in captivity, making a cross that talks about freedom for all the world. Can you pray for us as a church as we begin this journey of the cross? Come, Holy Spirit. Come in your beautiful presence. Come, my friend. Walk among us today. Behold, he is making all things new. <laughs> He's making all things new, and maybe you've not perceived it. It springs up here, and it springs up there. He is making a way even in the desert today. He's making all things new. So come, open our eyes, Jesus. Open our eyes right now. Bring revelation to what you're doing on the earth, God.